Hi, I'm Penny Eichinger and I'd like to invite you to join me and my psychedelic sidekick, Dr. Gonzo, on a musical exploration here on, and this one's introduced by, on community radio station 3CR. Dr. Gonzo, and this one's introduced by is a 60-minute program where we listen to tracks from an album introduced by the artist who made the album. Thanks for listening, and this one's introduced by Most people would be familiar with the drumming of Phil Calvert on the Boys Next Door birthday party and Blue Ruin records. Phil also played on several lesser-known recordings and continues to contribute his talent as a producer and owner of the Behind the Beat record label. He relates his musical history and reveals many of the fascinating inner workings of the music business on this week's episode of And This One's Introduced By on Community Radio 3CR. Uh, Thanks very much for having me on the show and uh, it's... uh can be interesting to delve back and uh, talk about some of these old tracks that uh, I was either played on or involved uh, with. So for those of you who don't know, I started out in my musical career playing in a band called The Boys Next Door, which morphed later into a band called The Birthday Party. And then we'll talk about where things went from there after we get through some of those songs. So The Boys Next Door have been going for a while as a um, uh, one of the only or first punk bands in Melbourne uh, from about late 77 onwards. We were uh, playing in uh, school uh, halls and at uh, university gigs and then we started playing in the pub scene uh, around that time. Uh, we signed famously to a uh, ill-fated uh, subsidiary of Mushroom that was uh, supposed to be capitalising on the whole new wave thing um, and we uh, recorded a uh, part of a sampler album for that where we did a dreadful version of These Boots Are Made For Walking. We then uh, played quite a lot live. We were a four-piece at that time. It was uh, Nick Cave, Mick Harvey, Tracy Pugh and myself. After some time, Mushroom decided, even though the uh, suicide kind of thing was on the way out, that they put us in the studio, record an album, uh, which we dutifully did, which was uh, all as a four-piece. We had a few extra friends play on it as well. But that record got shelved. After that, we just continued playing live. And during that period, we also added a fifth member, uh, Roland S. Howard, uh, on guitar. And Roland, along uh, with his guitar, brought a big swag of songs, uh, which then made our repertoire uh, massive. And we just played and played and played. And uh, we gathered much more of a live following. And then uh, Mushroom just thought, oh, gee, those guys are getting popular now. Let's put that record out. And we went, no, you can't do that. It's not representative of the band now. And so, uh, much to his credit, Michael Godinsky said, OK, I tell you what, I'll give you X amount of, 
uh, I think it was $2,000 worth of studio time uh, and whatever you can do in that, we'll do that. And between those tracks and what we've got, we'll put together a record, which uh, that record became Door Door, which was the first full LP by The Boys Next Door. And uh, one side of that, side one, is all of the earlier material recorded mostly as a four-piece. And then on the second side, there are four songs and you can really hear the progression in the sound. Roland has now joined the band. And uh, I remember those sessions particularly well. Uh, It's the first time we worked with the engineer Tony Cohen, who became a mainstay of our sound for the rest of the life of the band, and then on into uh, Nick's solo career as well. And uh, you can... The band was really sort of stretching out then, trying to get more interesting sounds and we were no longer the kind of scrappy, you know, punky band. We were a much more kind of uh, uh, experimental musical unit and the first song I'm going to play from that uh, LP is Shivers and I know everybody probably knows this song but I feel quite honoured that I uh, am playing the drums on it. Uh, I also remember very well uh, those sessions and and particularly Roland laying down the guitars for that song and just layering them up and up to get that amazing Roland S. Howard sound and uh, it was it was really quite something to be there when those mixes were coming together especially on that song and the first track after a fashion it was just like we really felt wow we're making something that sounds really unique and really interesting so uh this is shivers by the boys next door
So after we had that record out for some time, or actually not that long ago, we recorded the second side in January of 1979, and by about April of that year, Mushroom had dropped us from the label. Uh, And I think there was some kind of uh, collusion between Gadinsky and our now manager, Keith Glass, who also uh, had uh, Missing Link Records, and I think there may have been some discussion about Michael freeing us from the contract so Keith could then work with us and Keith then proceeded to put us uh, into the studio uh, very regularly for the rest of that year and the plan was that we were uh, at the end of that year or early in 1980 to move to the UK. So Keith was uh, mindful of the fact that we'd need material to release in the UK uh, and also that he wanted to keep our fan base here interested and also uh you know he had his own label and ability to manufacture so uh the first uh sort of bunch of those releases all those recordings was the ep he whore uh which is a five track ep i hope you can get your hands on it otherwise uh, all of those tracks now exist on other uh you know Missing Link Boys Next Door compilations, but uh, the song I'm going to play from that particular set of recordings uh, is uh, The Hair Shirt, a really fantastic um, uh, song, and it was a real great workout for me on the drums, so I always enjoy playing this one live a lot, The Hair Shirt.
And continuing on after the He Haw EP, during the, the last half of 1979, we recorded a whole bunch of uh, additional singles uh, and tracks for us to be able to take to the UK. On the, the 29th of February 1980, we boarded a plane and flew our starving, sorry, dark um, and pensive-looking uh, asses uh, to the UK. And uh, we were based there for the rest of that year and uh, we uh, pretty much starved and suffered our way right through that year. But we did release uh, a single, uh, Mr. Clarinet, back with Happy Birthday. And uh, we got uh, picked up by John Peel, who then gave us a Peel session and things were really on their way. But uh, come the end of that year, the decision was made to return to Australia to tour and to cut a whole other album. So Keith flew us back, uh, back into the recording studios uh, called AAV. And in there with Tony, uh, we recorded what was to become Prayers on Fire. And uh, Prayers on Fire has probably got some of my favourite of my uh, drumming and playing on it, we we had really kind of evolved the sound. Uh, I really got into a, a whole lot of uh, tribal tom tom playing stuff, like you can you can hear on songs like King Ink and Zoo Music Girl and a Dead Song, which are on that album. But the track that I've chosen uh, to play uh, from uh, Prayers on Fire is uh, a favourite of mine because it's in 5-4, so that's quite unusual timing for a rock-type song. And uh, there's a particularly fun part where I switch and play 4-4 four, four against everybody else's 5 until the time comes back around. And you can hear that's the fat little insect section. So listen out for that. And uh, here it goes, uh, Nick the Stripper.
So after that, we, uh, we packed up our cases again, went back to the UK where we were now gaining quite some popularity. Um, things were really coming together. The magazines were writing about us. We were touring um, in England, but also in Europe. We were becoming quite uh, popular in uh, Germany and Holland. Uh, and yeah, things were really um, coming together. Uh, and during the course of... Uh, that uh, 1981, uh, we went into the studio uh, w in England uh, under the auspices of our uh, English record label 4AD, but I think uh, through an arrangement also with Missing Link. And we went into the townhouse studios in London with the engineer Nick Lornay and recorded this next song where the Tom Toms are once again getting a bit of a workout and uh, this one's Release the Bats. After the release of Release the Bats, or after the Bats were released, um, we continued to tour. We uh, were uh, then 
Uh, we did our first tour of the United, East Coast of the United States, uh, and that was really something at the time. And uh, then uh, at the end of that year, once again, we returned to Australia because we could always tour during summer rather than staying in the UK and freezing. Uh, and it was always appealing to come home and, you know, see our friends and family at Christmas during the warmest part of the year. But once again, we went back in the studio with Tony Cohen uh, and we started recording what was going to become Junkyard. Um, that was some pretty intense and crazy sessions. Um uh, yeah, things things within the band were were uh, good because we were being successful. We were touring and we were getting um, uh, you know really great live crowds in Australia and overseas. But it was um, uh, some of the tensions internally within the band were starting to play out or rear their ugly heads. But uh, uh, the song I'm gonna pick from Junkyard uh, is. Uh, one of my favorites because it's got this great loping kind of swinging nastiness to it and it's a big Jesus trash can. Yeah. 
Hi, this is Lockie Lockwood from Velotine, and you're listening to And This One's Introduced By, where the artist introduces the tracks from their album here on 3CR. So after the recording of Junkyard, we returned to the UK, continued to tour, but uh, a decision was made which was out of my hands, which was made by the other members of the band, that uh, it was not to be uh, that Phil would be playing the drums anymore. So the band had made a decision to switch location and move to Berlin. I had a meeting uh, one day with uh, Mick Harvey. We were out mixing some uh, tracks that we'd done from a, a TV performance in Holland. Well, he said, you know, the band's moving to Berlin. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know, but, you know, I'd rather kind of, uh, you know, stay here and work back and forth. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. He said, the band's going to Berlin and you're not. And so that was pretty much the end of the road for Phil with the birthday party. But uh, it was decided that we'd keep playing for a little while. Uh, We put together a kind of a last gig before moving to Berlin, which is at the venue in London. Uh, And we took the door receipts from that show and split them five ways, uh, which gave me enough money to get back to Australia. However, that was not to be. But um, it was very... uh, interesting show we sold out the venue in victoria uh in london and also present at that show that evening was uh richard butler tim butler and john ashton from the psychedelic furs Uh, i was preparing to move back to um australia getting my stuff together and i got a phone call from uh the birthday party's publicist a guy called chris carr and chris said hey look uh les mills the manager of the psychedelic furs is trying to get in touch with you then les called me up and said hey you know the furs are looking for a drummer because their drummer has just quit and they're going out on the road in the states in like four or five weeks it was actually i think it was less than that and i said oh well look i'm going back to australia so um you know i'll go down and maybe i can rehearse with them while they try out other drummers and they can get their stuff together and uh, i started doing that and after about a week of rehearsals i said to those guys you know well if if you want, I'll do it. And so uh, that that became that, and I uh, became the drummer in the Psychedelic Furs. They already had an album in the can, which they'd recorded with Todd Rundgren. They had uh, two albums prior to that, which they'd recorded with Steve Lillywatt. So there's a bit of material to learn, but we got the whole live show together and went out on the road. We did, I think we did six gigs in England, and then we got on a plane and went to America. Then we played, I think it was... It was 140 shows over five months in five countries or something like that. I, I can't remember exactly. It was a memorable time. And uh, the single that was big for them at that point in time off that record, which I then proceeded to play 150 times or so, uh, was this next song, Love My Way.
So we wound up that tour uh, of America. Well, we, we came out to Australia. We went to play a big festival in New Zealand. Then we went back to the States. Then we played uh, right through to about, I think, March uh, of uh, – 1983 uh, and then we all went back well I went back to London um, uh, Richard and Tim stayed in New York John Ashton went back to London various uh, people all scattered to where they came from and we started we had a bit of a break and then we started working a uh, long distance between uh, New York and uh, and London using cassettes going back and forth from the CBS offices working on songs Tim and Richard came into uh, the UK uh, we rehearsed uh, at a rehearsal room for about a month and then we were due to fly to Los Angeles to record the next album which was going to become Mirror Moves. Uh, however, the record producer uh, of that record, Keith Forsey, who was a great fan of the Lynn drum machine, uh, had decided that he was going to do the whole of the record with the drum machine and uh, not with a live drummer. And uh, I was quite anti this kind of situation uh, and uh, got into quite heated debate about this during rehearsals when we were doing pre-production with Keith Forsey in London. And uh, as a result, the decision was made between the Butler brothers and Keith Forsey that they might as well just get rid of me and save the money. So uh, I didn't know this, but I got on an aeroplane, uh, flew to New York on my way to Los Angeles to, to the sessions. The studios were already booked. And uh, when I arrived in uh, New York, uh, was staying with a friend there. I received a telephone call from Les Mills, the manager. He said, Phil, um, you know, uh, Richard and Tim, uh, you know, the band have decided you're out of the band, to which I just laughed. I said, yeah, that, that's, that's funny, Les. What do you want? Why are you calling? He said, no, 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 seriously, uh, you're out of the band. Uh, and what do you want? Uh, you know, what's, what, you know, I said, look, Give me an hour and call me back. And so I went downstairs to the liquor store and bought a bottle of vodka. And then I had a bit of a think. And then Les ran me back and I said, okay, I want a plane ticket back to London. And I want a plane ticket from London to Australia. And I want a thousand bucks now. And uh, so in the end, I got the plane ticket back to Australia and I got the thousand bucks. And that was the last. I saw the psychedelic furs for many years. However, we we're all good uh, over that now and uh, everybody's resolved all those issues but uh, yeah I think they made a mistake I think they they I think they they chased the uh, the golden ring a little too hard and they they should have stuck with their more indie sound I reckon it would have been uh, stayed with them for a, a better and a longer time but anyway that's my opinion and not their opinion so I returned to Australia uh, I uh, goofed around for a while. I drove taxis. I played sessions for people at Richmond Recorders. Uh, worked on a few records for other people. And uh, then one day I got a, a call from one Ian Quincy McLean who said, um, Oh, Phil, um, we've got this um, gig booked for a single launch. And, uh, but I'm really worried that our drummer's going to quit. If the, you know, if this happens, if the, if the drummer backs out, we've, you know, we've already got, you know, the gig booked and the records made and the posters up, you know, would you, you know, cover if this guy's out of the band? And I, I said, Oh, sure. You know, if, if you get stuck, I'll, I'll help you out. And then, you know, lo and behold, two days later, he rings about the drummer quit. I'm going, Oh, okay. So then I had to learn the set and uh, play with the band, which was then called Scrap Museum. And uh, 
I'm not sure that the drummer actually left of his own volition or if they saw it as an opportunity to get me in the band. But oh, we just kept jamming for a while after that single launch. And then I said, look, if we're going to do it and do it properly, we really need to kind of start again, refocus and set this up as a whole kind of new thing. And that was the idea that we, we got together. We went into the studio with Tony Cohen again, uh, our trusted engineer or my most trusted engineer and we recorded an album which became uh, Such Sweet Thunder and we changed the name of the band from Scrap Museum to Blue Ruin and uh, that was the beginning of the next phase of my recording career and uh, so I'm going to I'm going to pick a song that's probably not usually played off that record and uh, it's a it's a it's a real fantastic uh, tour de force by Malayne Vela with his uh, crazy guitar sounds and uh, uh, was a lot of fun to play and a lot of fun to record and this song's called Killjaw. It's a staggering 
So Blue Ruin just kept playing and playing and playing and we uh, were gathering quite a good live following. We just kept playing up and down the east coast of Australia uh, and having a really you know good time being a band. Back then you could gig, make sort of decent dough, you know, maybe have a part-time job, uh, maybe not, and it uh, was enough to live on. But uh, uh, the band really uh, caught the uh, the ears and the eyes of our, our um guy who was doing a lot of our live sound at the time, Mark Woods, and he had an association with the bass player from Men at Work, John Reese, and they had uh, come up with a music production company and they decided that they were going to fund and front the recording of our next album, uh, Flame. Uh, we went to WA to record it, to a beautiful studio called Planet that had a massive SSL desk in it. The, the, the popular single track from that was Bad Gin, but I'm going to choose to play... Um, what a hell of a woman because uh, I get to have a nice workout on the drums and you get the most amazing harmonica solo in the middle of this from the late great Chris Wilson. So here it is, what a hell of a woman. Oh, 
So Blue Ruin uh, kept gigging, we recorded a live album, uh, we moved to the UK, uh, we spent over a year there gigging, we were almost signed by Atlantic, we were put into demo studios by Geffen, but there is the old uh, 
adage that uh, once demoed, never signed. And so we got pretty close to getting a major deal, but it never really came together. We returned to Australia. Uh, we recorded a final album with Tony. Uh, well, it was my final album. The band obviously continued on after, but I decided to um, pack it in and uh, leave Blue Ruin. And I really, I did kind of pack up my drums and uh put them away and uh, I didn't play for a while yeah it was a really weird time in my life but eventually uh, I got back on the horse formed a band with a long uh, time associated mine David Mast we um, had a band called the Sunday Climb which was kind of like an old country band for a while we did record an album but it was never released and then I was you know I played guest on certain records here and there for people but a while after that I started working musically with uh, a guy called Ben Ling, who had been the final guitarist in the last edition of the band The Sunday Kind. And Ben and I formed a great friendship and worked on a lot of music together over the years after that. Ben and I recorded and released a a couple of CDs under the name uh, The Enthusiasts. Um, And actually prior to that we had um, uh, another incarnation of the band and that was called Sugar Hips. Uh, But uh, these are things that uh, we were just like um, uh, working with in our own time uh, and then occasionally gigging live. We also started working as a production team and we uh, recorded an EP for a band called The Witch Hats, uh, which is called Wound of a Little Horse. And after that, they signed a deal with... um, an indie label here and uh, someone their money was uh, raised for them to do a full album uh, and Ben and I uh, produced that album. Uh, the band was, uh, as I said, Witch Hats. The album was called Cellulite Soul but the song I'm going to play is the opening track. I think the drumming may be a little inspired by something I may have played in the past but it also I'm very proud of the production job that uh, Ben and I did on this and this is called Before I Weigh.
And the Witch Hats went on to uh, tour the United States, record another several albums, and uh, uh, I'm still in touch, uh, working on and off occasionally with their lead singer, Chris Buscombe. Uh, but uh, since then, uh, I started working with a uh, Melbourne female singer, performer, Seri Vida, uh, made uh, an album and EP with Seri, uh, and as a result of putting that album together and then the need to release it and get it out there. I started my own record label, Behind the Beat Records. Here's a track from the first release on Behind the Beat Records, which was an album called The Weight by Seri Vida. And this is a, uh, a cover of a Drake song called Marvin's Room.
So since the uh, first album that was uh, released all those years back, I've since also released uh, an album for the Witch Hats, which was called Deliverance, um, another EP for Seri, uh, which is called Bright Future. did an album uh, released with uh, Jethro Pickett, which is like an old country performer. He recorded an album with Shane O'Mara, but we put it out on uh, Behind the Beat Records. did an interesting collaboration between an American band, uh, and an Australian band where two members from uh, the band in Melbourne, the uh, guitarist and the bass player, did a kind of cross-the-internet album with uh, a, a singer and a drummer in California, and that band was called Terremoto, uh, released an album for those guys. Then um, uh, just at the beginning of uh, the pandemic in uh, 2020, we released um, an album for Astrid Mundy, uh, I, I, I re- reconnected with Astrid, um, sadly, at uh, her husband Tony Cohen's funeral. And uh, we got in touch, started talking about the fact that she had a, a bunch of material that needed finishing and that uh, Tony had been really encouraging her uh, to get on and, and finish the record. Uh, and so we got together and uh, take, took some of her existing material um, uh, finished the instrumentation and mixed it and then also um, recorded a whole bunch of new songs together and uh, that uh, album was called Beauty in the Ordinary and if you get a copy of that you can see a, a young dashing Tony Cohen on the front cover um, and the song I'd like to pay from that album is called Titanic. When we sit like this the table tween us full of books and
the pandemic I did a lot of uh, rehearsing and practicing and tweaking things in my studio and writing stuff and also started working on some new songs with Astrid and uh, I came into contact with a a classical pianist uh, called Dallas Gray who had a conceptual piece that she had been working on called Flinton so we uh, got that recorded and then uh, that's been released on Behind the Beat Records and then uh, in March of this year we released uh, an EP for the Melbourne based band Badinage which contains uh, Simon Cap who was the the latter day bass player within Blue Ruin Uh, and Simon is a very gifted uh, cellist as well as being a good bass player and he had formed a a musical collaboration with an old friend of his David Reed and they'd started swapping files under COVID lockdown and Dave's guitar parts would be sent to Simon who would add his cello and bass and send it back to Dave and uh, they uh, got that together and after the pandemic they started playing live and at one of their gigs uh, a guy came up to them and said hey you know would you like to add some drums and uh, Matt Omond uh, joined the band and they are now um, recorded this uh, fabulous instrumental it's probably like a more chilled out uh, version of, of the Dirty Three I guess or because of the uh, the string component of it uh, but uh, they're uh, yeah, quite interesting band uh, to work with, uh, really beautiful sounds and uh, the track I'd like to play from this is my final one today uh, for the show I'd like to thank Paul for having me on the show and I hope your friends enjoy listening to it but this is Badinage with Say It Again <laughs> Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to an episode of And This One's Introduced By. I'm Dr. Gonzo, and I'll be presenting another artist with another album next time on This One's Introduced By. Catch you next time. Hi, I'm Wendy Rule. Please support Community Radio 3CR. Get involved and find out more on the website at 3cr.org.au. go on You've got to learn to leave the table When love's no longer being served Just show everybody that you're able to learn to hide your sorrows Go on living just as before Ain't no use of thinking of tomorrow Who knows what it may have in store stronger 
broken heart Said you got to learn to leave the table when love's no longer being served. Just show all the crowds that you're able to leave without saying a word. got to learn to hide your sorrows yeah go on living just as before ain't no use of thinking of tomorrow just relax who knows what it may have in store to learn to be much stronger times your head must rule your heart you've got to learn from a hard experience you've got to listen to advice to give learn to live with a deformity when your soul's been wounded and you got to go on anyway Bro!